podcast and Play-Doh Buddy. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can find me at 38Godfrey, Instagram, Twitter. I'm kind of liking the Instagram lately. It's a little bit more fun. It's our own sort of banner society community over there in the Instagram. So come say hi. We're still going to be doing Instagram for olds, by the way. We just got to figure out when we're going to do it in the off season. Uh, I am a member of the Banner Society. You can uh, subscribe to the read option. You can check us out every day on bannersociety.com. You can subscribe and like this podcast that you are listening to right now. So uh, it is Christmas week. If you're off for the holidays, congratulations. We are off right now as you listen to this. So rather than just sort of pack up shop and come back for the playoff, we have left you with a little bit of a thank you. Um, these are two. This, so today's episode is part one. And then after Christmas on the 26th, you'll get part two. It's a two part hashtag ask PAPN episode with myself, Bud and Richard. We handpicked a lot, about two months worth of ask PAPNs, curated those. We've got scheme, we've got coaching, we've got recruiting, we've got uh, general absurdity, some real, uh, I don't know if there's realignment in there, but we're definitely talking about the future of some programs. So, uh, thanks to y'all for listening, for supporting us. 2019 is pretty pretty big year if you didn't notice for podcast ain't played nobody uh, i'm still standing uh we're happy that you're here we're happy that you guys have embraced our uh, our new look we feel good might delete later no we're not gonna delete later um have a good holiday we love you guys uh i will be back next week for new year's week to talk about the playoff with ryan nanny from Fullcast. um this is part one we love you guys have a good holiday gentlemen We've teased a full SPAPN for months. For months. Now, as everyone listens to this, we're all with our families. And strange, but where are you right now, Richard, as people listen to this? I am in lovely Gainesville, Florida. Bud, where are you right now? It's like Christmas-ish. It's probably Christmas Eve. People are listening to this, maybe driving. Where are you at? I'm in Orlando. And uh, Oh, wait. Where am I going to be on Christmas? Mm-hmm. Christmas Roughly. Eve? I, I might be down in Naples, so a little warmer here than Orlando. Shut up, bud. Uh, I will be on I-20, uh, probably in Washita Parish, right next to the fight in ULM Warhawks. Uh, or as you listen to this, I might be in Flowood, Mississippi. I know what you're thinking. How can one man endure so much luxury and glamour? I don't know how. Did I mention I'd also have two children, a pit bull and a pregnant wife with me? I just did. <laughs> <sighs> This is why I drink at work. Okay, we're going to start off, speaking of curmudgeonly, we're going to start off with a, a question from, and by the way, when you when you pick this username, guys, you, you really are sort of locking yourself in, okay? Um, at GT option for life. Like, you pretty much kind of made your bed with that one. Uh, is Paul Johnson's name coming up in any coaching searches? It seemed to me that he very carefully avoided the word retirement when stepping down at Georgia Tech. Uh, I want to pair this with another question, and then we're going to use the second question to bridge into another topic in a second. But uh, Evan D. Knox asks, is there any particular reason that Eddie Grand hasn't been able to find a G5 head coaching job? Uh, also, is Kirby Smart going to hire him as Georgia's OC again this offseason? Uh, gentlemen, Paul Johnson will not head coach again. Okay. Uh, Paul I don't Johnson, know if this retirement is voluntary. <laughs> uh, Paul Johnson has gone off into the sunset. Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech needed a break from one another that was permanent. Um, the one thing I do want to get into here is age. Okay. Um, there is another question. I'm just going to go ahead and throw it in with this batch. Are you ready? At send aliens to me. Again, these, these usernames. I'm so proud of our listeners. At send aliens to me. 
how did Tulane keep Willie Fritz so far? Is it because of his record there is average, or is it because the uh, that uh, sorry is it because his record there is average and that made schools think twice? Because getting back to back bowl games at Tulane is a major achievement. Okay, age. Age is the new hidden bias in coaching. Now, I do want to supplement by saying that if you're a minority, it's still hard as hell and damn near impossible in some situations. However, age has come to completely inexplicably hurt otherwise qualified candidates. I think age age may be... All right, let's unpack this a little bit. First and foremost, I think age may be a bias that plays against white coaches because old coaches are more often white. Um, I think where Willie is concerned specifically, I'm Mm -hmm. not sure age played as much of a role with Willie as much as it's he didn't win enough. There are people at Tulane that will tell you if Willie Fritz won two more games this season, Willie Fritz would not be Tulane's head coach. And I'm saying that because I talked to people at Tulane last week about this. Um, I would say that either one of those is a completely dumb fucking reason to not hire Willie Fritz. If you're Missouri, if you're Arkansas, let's let's go ahead and focus on Arkansas, not because I think so much of Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri, but you hired an offensive line coach that cried because he never thought he'd be a head coach, which is a beautiful moment. And I get all that. Woo pig suey. You're going back to bully ball. Hashtag that won't work. But if you're Arkansas, you could have hired an extremely dynamic coach. So Richard, what you're telling me is that had he won two more games, any two games in the American it's Athletic sexier. Conference? It's sexier to be eight and four, nine and three than it is to be what? What is it? Seven and six? I can't remember what they did this year. I, uh, off six top and my head. six. Six and six. Okay, yeah, it's sexier to have you know a three losses next to your name than it is six, than it is to quote unquote on balance scrape to bowl eligibility. Now I know Tulane scraping to bowl eligibility is. That is incredible, a feat in its own right. But when somebody just scrolls down their phone at what Tulane has done the last three years, six and six is, so to speak, scraping to bowl eligibility. Um, so let's people go. People are fucking stupid. So, I mean, I'm just, people are stupid. So let's go back to the age thing real quick. I think there part of the age thing is should we have we have a sport of the youths. And the youths are so, in a way that was not the case in 1980, the youths are less apt to uh, say how high when you say jump. And because of that, we need someone who can connect to the youths. And when you have hotshot coordinators who are young, that is something that kind of is an implicit, oh, they'll appeal to the younger sect um a little bit easier than an older guy um mm-hmm. you know i is this is college football an old man's game anymore um are coaches gonna want to coach to 65 i shouldn't say i shouldn't say want to because i bet a lot of them do are coaches going to be able to coach to 65 as we move just farther into the um just into the future like what does the future of the coaching industry look like from an age perspective When I go through the list of the 2020 hires thus far as we record this in mid-December, we are all obviously on holiday break, but we have a pretty good idea of the way everything looks right now. Youth is a default setting for new coaching hires. So as I scroll through and I see exceptions here, what's the first exception that comes to mind on this coaching cycle? Greg Schiano, right? Because only the Christ child Greg Schiano is capable of taking Rutgers back to the promised land that P.S. doesn't fucking exist. 
Then you look at a Sam Pittman. By the way, gentlemen, how old do you think Sam Pittman is? I know the answer, don't, so I will bow Don't Google out. it. 52. You're close. Richard? I know the answer. Really? What's the answer, Richard? 55. He's 58. What? He's 58 years old. 58 years old. This is an exception. This is a total exception. At, just to contrast for a second. How old do you think Eli Drinkwitz is? Oh, Drinkwitz. I'm going to guess 42. I'll guess 44. Oh, that's Gentlemen, high, he's younger than I am. Yeah, that's high. So he's what, 41? <laughs> you put that uh, on a T. You put that on a T. And it wasn't even gonna, me who knocked it I off. Just put the, I just want to put this message in here for our producer, Jelani. Uh, just keep that in. Just go ahead and keep that in. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm going to go ahead and crawl under the desk. Uh, you fuck. Eli Drinkwitz is 36. <laughs> I continually get shit on by my slightly younger co-hosts as if they are like a fucking decade under me. <laughs> um, Mid thirties is now the aspirational mark for a power five program. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. You get somebody real fast. Let's let's keep playing this game, by the way, because I don't think people believe me so much. Uh, Jeff Scott, the new head coach at South Florida. When you think of some of the other names that were considered for this job, right? How old is Jeff Scott? I'm gonna go 34 on Jeff Scott. What? Same, actually. That's what I was gonna say. He's my age. He's 38. 38. Okay. He's 38 years old. He's 38 years old. So uh, let's go with something that was slightly out of the ordinary. Jimmy Lake at Washington. Oh, Jimmy Lake. Jimmy Lake might be like 32. I think he's older than that. I'm going to say 37. Richard, what's the rule? What? Black don't crack. Black don't crack. You already know, baby. He's 42 years old. 42? Yeah, it's really impossible. 42. 42. And by the way, in his mugshot, he could pass for like, he could easily pass for 28. Easily. All right. My point is this. This is a concern. This is a concern because there are a lot of dumb trends in hiring. Hiring purposefully young so you can quote unquote, as Richard said, talk to the youths. It's going to lead to some really bad hires down the stretch. I also, okay? I, mm-hmm. I also think there may be it, it may be different from the youths, but it's you can with with how thin these guys are spread, you can mm-hmm. spread a thirty six year old um, in all these different booster right. commercial. He's more marketable. He's better looking, so to speak. Um, all that kind of stuff than you can a sixty two year old who just wants to coach ball. Well, and, Can I and, suggest that there's a market inefficiency here to be exploited by a smart AD who, I'm not going to say that we'll say this stuff doesn't matter, but doesn't matter so much that you're going to hire a guy in his 30s to run your organization. Yeah. And he could say, look, yeah, the, the aspirations here of some of these are like, look, we can keep this guy now for 15, 20 years, and that'd be great. The chances are he's not going to be good for 15, 20 years anyway. Like, just give me somebody who can give me a good, like, seven to eight years in his, like, late 40s. I wonder if there won't be some smart ADs who kind of exploit. I'm not saying you have to go Mac Brown style, but the, the the trend that young, you might be able to pick off like a good market inefficiency here by zigging a little bit when everybody else is zagging. For, because what you're saying is that you're saying you're basically saying what Florida State just did. If you give any Florida State fan on balance the seven years that they just had with Jimbo, right? They take that a hundred right. times out of a hundred. 
even when it, with them quitting at the end and not calling recruits for like six months, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they, they would take it again. There's something else I'm interested in here. Richard touched on it briefly when you said you can run them. And I think you went in a different direction, but it kind of pinged something in my mind. You know what else you can do to a 34-year-old or a 38-year-old or a 36-year-old? You can work them to death. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can work them to death voluntarily. I talk to head coaches. I talk to coordinators and at the at the power five level and it is a perpetual race against like the human limit and i don't mean like in an existential way or like we're going into space i just mean it's how long can how long can we burden you with unrealistic expectations both mentally and physically the what you're supposed to produce as a brand as a football coach as a ceo as all of it that's a much more stupidly that's a much more enticing job for a 34 36 year old the other thing i want to ask you guys maybe to the same point is how old is chris peterson Ooh, i'm gonna go 50 i'm gonna go high i'm gonna go 57 on chris peterson i'll, I'll go 54 Chris Peterson is 55 years old. Mm. Okay. This is why I bring this up. Bob Stoops right now is 59 years old. Do you know what that means? He was 56 or whatever. Yeah. Right. They basically retired at the exact same time. They are not Joe Paterno. They are not Bear Bryant. They are not on and on and on and on and on. Okay. There is a paradigm shift happening here where, and I know Spencer wants to write about this. I want to write about this. Like we're all kind of chasing after like, did, I think this does come of a certain age. And since I'm, you know, the fucking octogenarian of the show, um, there is a, a thing that happens at middle age. You start understanding your mortality and you start placing that next to your identity. And I think these coaches are seeing something that we've heard about a little bit and we talk about a little bit, but I think they're seeing something different because of those expectations that I talked about and because of the the lifespan of the old coach. And I think a lot of it has to do with the kind of stuff that we hear at AFCA and you know when we're sitting at the bar. These men are leading lives that are increasingly more demanding, which is fucking insane because they were very demanding in the 70s and 80s, right? <laughs> I think these guys are electing for life over this over this career. And I think if you start as a head coach in the Power Five at 35, maybe you can accomplish things to your level of satisfaction on your deathbed and then get the fuck out when you're 55 and not coach yourself to death. Now, all the way back to the original point and the hashtag SPAPN, where does this leave someone like Willie Fritz? I think Bud touched on it best. And I think someone has to f- exploit a market inefficiency much in the Moneyball way and look at Willie Di- Willie Fritz as a scratch and dent sale of the of the, the the biggest steal in coaching, and take someone who doesn't fit the age mold and who can be as successful and creative and innovative, and as as progressive minded in a football sense as any of those thirty four year olds. And I, I I do truly believe that. Now, um, who wants to talk a lot about Georgia? Shut up! You're going to do it anyway. <sighs> Yeah, well, it's not my fault. Okay, the company gave me a Florida grad, and they gave me a Florida State grad. It's not my fault, y'all. All right, J underscore McDonald. If Kirby flubs the OC higher and Georgia can't compete with real ass playoff teams <laughs> because of the offense yet again, 
how hot does the seat get considering his success in the other aspects of coaching? Um, we had a, uh, another asked, uh, asked PAPN I mentioned earlier about Eddie Grand becoming the the coach at or the offensive coordinator again at uh, at Georgia. He meant again because Eddie flirted heavily with Georgia before he got an extension and a better deal with Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Eddie, by the way, just as a quick addendum to that, he falls under that age bias as well. I don't think Eddie Grand will be a head coach at the FBS level now uh, because of his age. I think it passed him by. Um, I uh, I'm gonna have a hard time like being smart and accurate about this because I'm still laughing my ass off at the offense that Georgia has decided to run this year. I know Richard is as well. Um, Bud, we did a recruiting show last week and talked about how so far we haven't seen the whiplash effect of the shitty offense affecting interest from recruits. So I think that keeps his job safe for a while, right? Whoa, 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 wait a second. At what point is this not... It, let's uh, let's play this out. Th- this string out. Okay. The string on this question. I did is just talk f- about Kirby Smart's because I just talked about Kirby Smart's job security. <laughs> the the uh, playing the string out here. It's he flubs the OC hire next year. He either fires or demotes mm-hmm. Coley, replaces him. UGA cannot again compete with real ass playoff teams. How hot does the seat get? How is he not Mark Richt? At that point in time. That's my point, Richard. How is it not a Mark Rick situation where it's, we know Kirby is a good coach, if if not a great recruiter and a great defensive mind himself, but we can't get over the line in a state that we dominate, and oh, guess what? We may be dominating the state just a teensy bit less, given what's an hour down the road at Atlanta could potentially be building. So I would also add real fast before Bud weighs in on the recruiting that if you're building narrative here, Kirby had the almost national championship slip away in the most brutal way humanly fucking possible, right? We've talked all about that. Mark Rick also had his best and 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 uh, sexiest flirtations with national championships early, early on in his tenure at Georgia, right? It was 2002 was probably his best chance, okay? So Don't if they Kirby literally never, have like the exact same record after three years? Right, so if Kirby, if Kirby continues apace... And they don't make that change that I've been making fun of them about. This is the same damn thing. Except now it's just a Georgia-born guy who's going to be even harder to get rid of. Okay. First of all, the main difference between Rick and Kirby so far is the recruiting. Right? Yeah. One of the main main complaints about Rick was that a lot of really good players that Georgia wanted were leaving the state. That is not happening. Period. Like, Georgia is still right of first refusal on many more kids, like elite-level kids, than Rick had. Which is the way Additionally, it should be, by the way. Georgia Tech has zero players that Georgia wanted. I don't think they've okay. won a single recruiting battle, to my knowledge, this year over Georgia. And I don't know if they'll, if they'll win one next year. So, until Georgia starts to lose recruits much more consistently, I think Kirby's seat is ice cold. He's had him at playing at like a, between a top 10 and a top two level now for what, three seasons in a row, and he hasn't cashed it in. But did Rick have a stretch where they were this good three years in a row? I'm not sure if he's strung three years together, but it's God for almost it up. But almost all their losses have been to really, really good teams. Almost none of them have been in blowout fashion, by the way. One this year to LSU, 
in which as, you know they had a lot of as the for. resident Georgia born, I can tell you that although I'm not a UGA fan by any stretch, I I do understand being really really good but not winning the big one. Um, Rick's best stretch, as I alluded to earlier, you know his career was defined at Georgia by the beginning. Um, his first year he was eight and four, bud, and they lost the Music City Bowl in 2001. He then rattled off four double digit winning seasons in a row: thirteen and one, eleven and three, ten and two, and ten and three. Um, they lost the Sugar in 2005. They won the Sugar in 2002. They were first, tied for first, second, and first in the uh, in the SEC East during those times. So I also think Kirby is doing another seat cooling thing, which is pounding rivals besides Georgia Tech. I mean, Mark Richt owned Georgia Tech, but Rick or uh, Kirby is also pounding the Tennessees and Tennessee and Florida. Well, but again, look at the landscape as Bud and I, you know, being so much fucking older than you, will remind you is that Tennessee was a different beast, right? The Tennessee of now in 2019 is not the Tennessee of 2003. And then Florida, to to me, it's funny. I love trolling Florida fans initially about, hey, this is your new identity and the new pecking order. And now it's almost just as fun to flip the table Richard, I'd pose this to you. How good is Florida going to be next year? Because if that gap closes, that anxiety draws near. We'll Georgia get- identi- I don't have to tell you that Georgia identity is built on how much better can we be than Florida in any given year. Right. It's it, it, Look, we'll get to the quarterback situation. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, and we will come to it this spring. Let me tell you, as a podcast group. But I, I think that if Florida, if Florida beats Georgia, then you've got a thing where it's, if Florida beats Georgia or maybe Florida wins the East, that's where you're, you've are you got a thing where, okay, what well, maybe Florida is actually kind of coming for us in a tangible way that's more than Florida's beating everybody else but can't contend with us in Jacksonville. But then it goes back to, I mean, Bud will tell you, Georgia is absolute, or has absolutely lapped Florida in recruiting. Now, that game may change a little bit this year. Florida may end up with a top five class, but please correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, Florida's improved its recruiting, and and so that is looking up. But Georgia has the bona fides that we've just talked about the last three, four years. Where we will probably see it on the field in 2020 is Florida's 18 and 19 classes. One was a transitional class in, in the early signing period era, so that's not that great of a class. Last year's class, we talked about this. Mullen signed a bunch of guys that I'm not going to say he did it so that their recruiting rankings would look better, but a lot, like I think six of their really highly rated kids failed to qualify or didn't end up in the class for whatever reason. So I think those guys are the guys that Florida is going to be counting on to be sophomores and juniors this year. That's where you'll probably see the gap between Florida and Georgia. Florida is doing an excellent job recruiting right this minute. It's the 18 and 19 where they may not close that gap on the field this year. Does anyone have a gangbuster solution to like like hire X? I, do I don't. Georgia? Go ahead, bud. Right, you go ahead. Go, go ahead, bud. Kendall Bryles. Oh, he Jesus scores Christ. points everywhere. He put points up with that Florida State offensive line. Dude, oh, man. Jake Fromm in the Kendall Bryles offense. I was going to say, I'm not sure. I am not sure Georgia is like miles off what they should probably be because, again, they won that Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. They weren't exactly running a Kendall Bryles, you know, they weren't running four verts every play. Like, the offense that they took to the national championship was not 
so far intellectually off of what they have right now, and they did that with a freshman quarterback who took over after, what, week five or whatever? Totally agree. I think it's really important we keep perspective here on what we're talking about. We're not talking about going from a shitty offense to an okay offense. We're really talking about going from an offense that, by all the advanced metrics, was still good to great. Can can you go? Can you get an offense that not matches your defense, but is more close to matching your defense? In two of Kirby's last three years, they've had something that's pretty similar. Stylistically, not always great to watch, but very effective on an efficiency basis. So this year, what happened? New coordinator. I think most people would think it probably was a downgrade. But also, they had a lot of injuries at receiver combined with a lot of inexperience at receiver. They lost Javon Mims. They lost a couple other dudes. And they weren't able to over- overcome that. Also, the offensive line did not dominate quite like we expected it to coming into the season. And Fromm didn't seem to make a whole lot of progress this year. Uh, yeah, we're talking about a team trying to go from good to great, not from like terrible to good. I just don't know if any of the things I, I absolutely understand and respect what you're saying. I just don't know if if all of those things break better if they don't still get the shit kicked out of them by LSU in the, in the SEC championship, and that being the new standard bearer for offense. I think Georgia has to react a little bit to what a school like LSU has done in changing their offensive identity a little bit. Or, or do you think it's a flash in the pan because Joe Burrow is going to the NFL and you kind of let that go and understand that Bama is coming back, bud? And keep in mind this. Think about all the other talent that's leaving these teams in the SEC on offense. No more Joe Burrow. Two is gone. I, like, there's a good chance a lot of those Bama receivers are gone. Georgia's offense, in comparison to a lot of these other teams, is going to look better next year, even if it's the, this, just no more effective than it is this year. Because those teams are going to take a step back on offense. LSU is not going to be a top five offense next year. Before so we move on, are... before we yeah. move on, what about this, Lane Kiffin? As OC, I think he's spoken for. No, 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 not OC. I'm talking about when we talk oh, okay. about changing I mean, sands in the SEC bang, West. Like, Lane you're going to have Kiffin. to bang at least three or four sorority girls before you get out. I don't know if he does it all in the off season. It's <laughs> there's potential. I mean. <laughs> All roads lead to that path, but um, I'm sorry, I just jumped all over you with the joke. What about Lane Kiffin? I'm just saying, we talk about shifting sands in the SEC West, potentially some men that have some bags, maybe more interested in the goings-on at Ole Miss football right now versus how interested and invested they were over the last couple years with Matt Luke. Mm -hmm. I'm saying Mm -hmm. potentially Ole Miss comes in and upsets a bit of the balance of power in the SEC West. That doesn't mean they win the West. That means Mm -mm. they potentially beat an LSU or they beat an Alabama and they inject some more competitiveness into the SEC race. Okay. Well, again, I I think, though, at least for the purpose of this idea, Georgia still has to see one of those individuals in Atlanta and I'm still betting on offensive innovation living west of the west of the uh, of the not the Mississippi, but what you know, west of the side of the of, of the SEC is what I was trying to say. West of Columbus, small, Georgia. Thank you. Small aneurysm. Sorry. Um, since we're talking about that, and you've given me a decent little transition, um, this was an interesting question. I don't even know if I can answer all the way. Um, it's more about I guess kind of like cold water, but at Simple Jack Two Three asks. 
when coaches get fired and go to rival schools, and then in parentheses he put Odom and Odom to Arkansas. That's Barry Odom, the former Missouri head coach, who's now the defensive coordinator at Arkansas, and Matt Luke, the former Ole Miss coach, going to Georgia as I believe his title is O line and assistant head coach or associate head coach. I think. How much are they expected to quote spill the beans or negative recruit? Also, can you spend sixty seconds on how good Sam Howell is? Who wants to do the Sam Howell part? I would love Bud's take on that because I would like to know in how much of a different spot is Florida State right now if Sam Howell play is playing for Florida State. So I think they're probably like a game better, right? I don't think that they're like three or four games better. Uh, he, he played really well as a true freshman. I got to tell you, Sam Howell looked a hell of a lot better at North Carolina than he did at like the Army Bowl. You know, and I was like, damn, okay. Like that's, like, we knew he was a good player, but it was like, Shit, okay, I didn't see that coming that early. Uh, can UNC sustain this for next year? Uh, we'll see if they, if they get their, their juniors to stay in school. They also had a ton of close games this year. I think David Hale had the stat. They led the nation uh, in uh, snaps where the score was within one possession. Okay. So a lot of volatility there. Okay, um, as far as the other one goes, I think that's very situational. I think both of you would agree with me on that. Odom and Arkansas is going to be way, way more interesting because those are regional and permanent cross-division rivals, and I do believe there's a little bit of like salt there. Um, is this the thing that's going to give birth to like some sort of certification of the Missouri-Arkansas rivalry? I wouldn't go that far because Barry Odom's kind of a soft-spoken guy. I don't think he's going to go in there and try and, like, you know, let's fuck over Missouri as hard as we can. But as far as Matt Luke and Georgia, I don't know if Ole Miss and Georgia are going to play each other anytime soon. If they do, it'll be once every 12 years or whatever that insane Right, the rotation is. The rotation's so wonky. Um, But how about the negative recruiting side? How much do you see that, bud? The negative recruiting side with like, like, like coach people goes who to have left school. the previous spot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that basically you turn it around and you say, okay, what did teams negatively recruit us with? And then let me let me use that info because now I'm an insider. And I, I also knew stuff that maybe other people didn't know to, to negatively recruit us with. Um, but there's only so many targets that you're going to both be going after. So it's not like something you're going to be able to hammer with every single kid. Uh, right. But it, it certainly happens. Um. I've heard of it happening a lot to echo what Bud says. I, I do think it really comes down to the situation, not not just the, which coach is where, but also like how how intense are you going in on this particular kid or what kind of, you know, what kind of culture are you recruiting in? I think if you go to a there are staffs that recruit more negative than others, Bud, you back me up here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there are people who come in and just shit all over the opponent. And then there's also programs that come in and really sell themselves first. Um, please don't hashtag ask PAP and me, which is which. I think sometimes it's kind of evident. Um, the haves and the have-nots are a pretty good way to, to draw that line. Um, you know, in Matt Luke's case, no, I mean, Matt Luke's not that guy, man. I've known Matt Luke for a long time, and, you know, he probably wasn't fit to be old Mrs. head coach because he was put in a bizarre situation. But if you're the university – let me put it this way. If you're the University of Georgia and you're the assistant head coach for the University of Georgia, you're probably not going to go head-to-head with Ole Miss on too, too much – but let's just say you are, and it's like, I don't know, an offensive lineman in Lake City, Florida, hypothetically. <clears throat> hypothetically. Um, do you need to shit on Ole Miss? Like, you're Georgia. I think No, you just kinda, because... I, you just do your thing, man. 
most likely he'll give you a silent commitment in his living room like a weekend before signing day, and you'll never ever perceive even the faintest idea that he would choose Ole Miss. Hypothetically, of course. Hypothetically, of course. Right. Hypothetically. No one got paid. It's all hypothetical. Oh, everyone had a good time after that. Um, no, I think if if it's Matt Luke's case in particular, I'm going to tell you right now, he's not going to shit on his alma mater. He's pissed off. He's frustrated. I think he's gutted. You know, the Elijah Moore situation cost him his job, and he's not going to say that ever. But um, I think Odom is an interesting case if only we see, and Bud, I know this isn't the hottest area in the world, but if we see Missouri and Arkansas like going head-to-head in, I don't know, like St. Louis or Memphis or something, then then maybe that would become a big deal. But by and large, like I think probably the biggest example that I could think of would be when Kirby left Nick. And I don't think it was so much shitting on Alabama as he built Georgia as it was replicating the Alabama style of recruiting. Is that fair to say, bud? Yeah, I think there was some negative stuff there, though. Ooh, uh, like, dish, like, dish, dish. Yeah, like like the whole – there were definitely some guys on that Bama staff who were really curious as to where this like Nick Saban's going to retire stuff was coming from. Uh, Ooh. And uh, Ooh. there were definitely some some accusations pointed east. So, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's I don't I don't know that they're like besties, um, you know. Okay, I like between it. the Tennessee, um, Georgia, Bama staff. There, there's I think there's a little bit of bad blood there. Let's stay at the you know the heart of college football, Missouri. Uh, at D A Walker Tiger asks, I know that Oklahoma and Missouri aren't on the same level. Uh, correct, can confirm. Uh, but the career paths for Drinkwitz and Riley are very similar. To the point, similar up to the point of taking the P five job. What's the likelihood that drink proportionally raises Mizzou to greater heights? Um, and this is uh, just for my co-host here. I included the image, the link to the image of the of the tweet that he sent because he has the bio for each from Wikipedia, and it it looks like the same thing. Um, again, everyone comes into college football at a different time, so I'm not trying to fault you if you don't know this. Um, if you have only been a college football fan for a couple years or, or a little bit longer, you may not know that like Lincoln Riley, he didn't come from nowhere by any stretch, but he was the offensive coordinator at East Carolina in 2013. So it was a, it was a, an aggressive trajectory. Um, he See, went to I, Texas. Go ahead. I, I don't know. I, I sort of disagree here with the premise of the question in a sense of I'm taking where both of these guys came from. Like okay. Lincoln Riley is Lincoln Riley is from a tree that we know bears fruit and a tree that we've actually watched bloom or sprout or whatever over the last two decades. Um that is Richard, uh just in case people don't know, what tree is that? That is the air raid Mike I'm talking Mike Leach air raid tree. Like I'm talking Lincoln about, Riley played Lincoln Riley played excuse me Lincoln Riley played at Texas Tech. But what is this drink that has me burping so much on this podcast? Bubbly? Oh, dude, you got to pour it into a cup first. Sorry. All right. Well, does that make you like less? No, you let some of that carbonation out. Right, man. The youth they continue to teach. <laughs> you ever chug a beer out of a can as opposed to a draft beer? Same concept. 
I just use a shotgun. Okay. All right. Anyway. Anyway. I, pref- I prefer to do the shotgun when you stab it with your keys, but like I had, haven't done that in a day. Oh, bro. So. This guy went to an SEC school. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that when you've got Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley's from a tree. Lincoln Riley's from a tree that we know, right? I, I think, first of all, drink. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Path. I just want to read. I just want to, I just want to read this. Plays at Texas Tech. This is how you come up this tree specifically. You ready? For two years, he's an, uh, he's a student assistant. Then one year as a GA, and then what's your first job always when you join the tree? Wide receivers coach. Then he's inside wide receivers coach, (laughs) which is such a fucking leech move. Then he then he leaves Texas Tech and OCs at East Carolina. This dude couldn't be more Mike Leach air raid tree. Like period. I think the what we need to be talking about with Drinkwitz is Gus, and it's not necessarily a Gus tree so much as it's a Gus path because this path where you jump from high school coach at, look, Springdale High School is not exactly Miami Central or Don Bosco, you know, or Modern Day. Those are high school powerhouses, national high school powerhouses. This is, and I want to be respectful when I say this, this is a high school in Arkansas that he took that job and jumped to Auburn as a QC, right? Mm -hmm. And then Arkansas State, Arkansas State, and then he went to Boise, and then he's at mm-hmm. Boise. So Drinkwitz is like coming up a certain way and then mixing in a different tree, which is the Harson Boise um, tree. And then here he is. So I, I think it's a little bit fundamentally different the way Drinkwitz and Riley both came up. Well, I think it was as simple as that Bob Stoops respects the shit out of Mike Leach. And Bob would always go on Mike Leach, Leach's recommendation and Lincoln was in the right place at the right time. Also, Lincoln's the reason Ruffin McNeil came back over to OU because he was Ruffin's OC at ECU. Mike um, Leach it, Mike Leach coached at Oklahoma. Just bef- the them may not know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Mike Leach was OC for Bob Stoops at Oklahoma before he became head coach of Texas Tech. Um, I think they're a little bit different. I think, you know, Andy's a, as a Missouri fan, judging by his uh, his name and his avatar on Twitter. Um, I, I think that Missouri's uh, f- ceiling and its floor uh, need to be addressed. Not so much. Don't go apples to apples with Oklahoma. Um, as the departed Bill Connolly was wont to do, sometimes Missouri fans kind of look to the West because there are a decent amount of Mizzou people that live in and around the Oklahoma and OU fans, and there's the old Big 12 thing. Guys, I don't know if that's really a healthy move right now. I think Missouri has a lot of interior issues to take care of. Uh, I do think Eli will be fun on offense. They, By the way, does anyone know how dog-ass they were on offense down the stretch? Were any, was yes. anyone watching Remember Missouri on offense it? this year? They scored like oh. one touchdown in like what it was unbelievable. Derek Dooley, Jesus, I wonder where he's going to end up. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's uh it's fun and it's aspirational, Andy, and I like I like your attitude. Yeah, I, I like your uh, joie de vivre <laughs> to be making OU comparisons, but I think what Missouri needs to do is a lot of internal culture change, and then I think the next thing you need to do is show a little bit of not not the old vaunted proof of concept. But I think you you need that seven win season, Richard. But then I think you also need to be sexy about it in terms of points scored and kind of go back to when, like like Chase Daniel, Missouri era. Is it, you know is it, I don't know if that's possible, but have fun with it. And then you need to go to the university, the athletic department, the boosters, et cetera, and say, hey guys, we are in the SEC. We need to start acting like it in all the little different ways. Is that fair? I'm, I'm really fair. not trying to be mean to Missouri. 
Um, all right, I am going to, let's see. All right, watch this bridge. You ready? <clears throat> at Give so damn me. dashing. At so damn dashing. I love these. Y'all's handles. This is the best collection of handles we've ever had on Ask PAPN. If you were an athletic director, what criteria would you use to hire a new head coach? And how would you prioritize that criteria? This kind of calls back to the age thing. I love it because, um, the, first of all, you have to ask yourself where you are. Um, so if I am in Texas, my guy had better, 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 better be tight with the Texas high school football coaches. That is one of the things Charlie Strong misstepped on when he first got there. He was not as tight with the Texas high school football coaches as he otherwise should be. It was not great. First thing Tom Herman did when he got there, reached out to them, was boys with them. Uh, if I am a uh, AD in Florida, you got to be able to recruit. Got to be able to recruit and has got to be able to sift what's real and what's not in Florida. Butch Davis told me one time, he was like, look, I think Florida is over-recruited. Now, Butch Davis being at a G5 in Florida has some vested interest in answering that question that way. But what he meant when he said that was that coaches from other states come into the state and may take flyers or reaches on guys who may not be good enough technically because Florida high school coaches are underpaid hilariously compared to the rest of the country and the amount of talent that they produce, or you may take reaches on guys because you're the Florida recruiter guy and you have to you have to come back home with something if you're out in the Midwest. Uh, but I know you've seen some of that. Now, if I'm west of the Rocky Mountains and I'm looking to hire a coach, he better be from west of the Rocky Mountains. I, a few weeks ago, we talked a lot about fit here and how I don't really believe in fit in a bit of the classical sense. And I'm going to contradict myself just slightly because if you are west of the Rocky Mountains, you'd better be from west of the Rocky Mountains. You'd better have a guy on your staff, if you are not yourself, a Polynesian coach because that is a pipeline where you are going to get one of the hardest resources to get out there, which is linemen, which is hard-ass athletic and good linemen. You've got to be able to get those guys. So those are just some quick things that I look at if I was an AD looking to hire a coach. Bud? I agree with you there. I I, I think that you have to – you need to have a plan that help. like you need to be able to showcase your own strength as a coach. And then I also want an AD – I want you to be able to identify some things to me that you don't do so well and then show me your plan – to make sure that those weaknesses don't torpedo your, your your chance of success at my school, right? So you can say, look, these are the things I, I've done really, really well. These are the things that I anticipate that you are, as an AD will likely ask me about. Um, I, I want to see that from, from my candidate and just, just have some honesty. And, and I want him to be able to level with me and say, all right, uh, you know what? Maybe organization is one of my issues. I'm going to need uh, some additional people here uh, in order to help me organize things. Or, look, I'm not the best recruiter. I'm more of an X and O's guy and I'm a great manager. I need to make sure that we bring in some really good recruiters on my staff. I think all different types of coaches can have success, but self-awareness is very important and being able to identify uh, and mitigate weaknesses uh, is, is a really good thing. Additionally, depending on your school, ability to fire up boosters and not from like a cheating drop bags perspective, but from a donate to the program, be good in the booster you know, dinner tour circuit over the summer can be really important, especially if you're one of the schools that doesn't have that great built-in infrastructure. Also, what is the skeleton? And I'll be a little Machiavellian here. What is the skeleton? Because if I know it now, we can get in a space where we can spin it if it comes out. And how bad Always. is the skeleton? 
Now, I mean, if the skeleton is, like, some real serious stuff, like, if we're talking, like, you've got some Art Briles shit in your past, like, well, now I'm just not going to hire you in 2019. I shouldn't have done it in 2009, 1999, or 1969, but that's the world we live in. What is the skeleton, and can it be worked around? And honestly, Um, how many people know about it, and what are the chances that it comes back on me? Because if the skeleton's real bad, but it's something hardly anybody knows about, and, like, I I can't either be put in like a should have known or, or or did know type situation as an ad i'm probably still making the hire not with a bryles thing obviously richard is teasing uh banner society's next pivot we'll just go ahead and tell you guys we're going to become like a skunk works wet works type of campaign where we will disappear your problems away murder for hire but then also do like the negative pr to like sink your you know sink your detractors essentially we're going to be like an evil media it's going to be a full heel turn um, at uh, kind of on the same line, at the Gax, G A X. Do you think a major college program would ever hire a head coach who wasn't married? I'm sure it has happened, and I'm forgetting. As in, they'd rather not have to potentially address rumors that might arise from having a bachelor head coach surrounded by coeds. Uh, gentlemen, this has already happened. Right. <laughs> this happened last cycle. Does anyone know who this I'm talking about? This happened last week. Jimbo. Uh, no. Well, Lane that's one of probably them. not married. I don't think Lane, Lane? Kevin's married. There's also another one that um, I wrote a story about last year. Uh oh. Um. Ooh, who am I missing? Come on now. You write. You write too many stories, dude. Um. Uh, well, that wow, was nice. Loki. That burn. was nice. G five. G five. G five. Who? Who is it? Dana Holgers. Oh. Not and married. I quote. Never been married. And I quote. And I quote. He has been married. He has a son who plays for him. And, and I quote, it's better for everyone that I'm not married. <laughs> Here's one. So there's you. your. So honestly, that's my answer to the question. I know Houston is a bit of a um, an outlier as an example because of the culture that they're OK with. But I think having a bachelor head coach is so, so much better than having the Hugh Freeze situation. Right. Can you give me an example of a coach who was hired who is not divorced? Chip Kelly, like, like oh. single, but has never been married. Chip was Chip Kelly. I mean, I don't. Want no, to Chip was married. Person. Chip was married. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's that's where I was kind of going. I was like single, but have never divorced. Right. Because then you get different kind of questions there. You're right. Mm, yeah, You're right. I don't know if it's happened that I can recall on the FBS level. Um, you know, I, I just think functionally and socially coaches get married pretty young on the skew, like, you know, relative to, to people, which is weird, too, because they have such demanding jobs. And normally in other professions, you see people get married later because of that. Um, there's some there's a lot of sociology and psychology at play there that we could get into at a later date with some sensitivity training beforehand. But I think that uh, the way coaches view marriage is very different than the rest of society in 2019. How about that? I, um, I, I think the. A, a spoke off this question is black coaches and interracial marriages. Now, Charlie Strong, when Charlie Strong was trying to get the Florida job way back when, you know, it was reported that Charlie Strong was passed over, not looked at at that job because his wife is white. Now, obviously, Charlie has gotten jobs since Texas of all places, but we remember what happened with Red McCombs when he was hired. Um, and then got a what job. Got another- Red McCombs when he was hired. Uh, when he was hired, Red McCombs, very prominent booster in the Texas. Uh, Texas uh, boosterdom said something to the effect of Charlie Strong may nothing may not be anything more than a coordinator, something to that effect. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like that. And um, now Dino Babers, 
has a wife white has a white wife is in an interracial marriage that may be something to look at as far as if he ends up getting pegged to jobs in the next uh cycle or two um but in the south in the south as as things change as opinions may change as slow and as steady as they are and entrenched as they are um how do interracial uh couples uh navigate that there's one in nashville Derek Mason's wife is white. I don't want to go through all the uh, white wives that I know. I feel like that would probably be a disservice um, and also not important. Um, I do know one coach, a uh, white coach who is married to a black woman, uh, Lance Gidry, the former head coach at McNeese State. So um, I, it is becoming um, – I think you're seeing more and more of it on coaching staffs, and I think slowly it's moving towards uh, a level of acceptance that I think even five or ten years – it's weird how Richard – you can tell me if you disagree – I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing it happen more and more on staffs, and therefore the reaction in the booster culture seems to be less and less severe. But yet, there's still that's a world of difference between that and hiring a black coach in a lot of places, like a head coach, is what I mean. Yeah, it's it's just it's we you touched on it when you talked about the it is, and I I don't like saying this, but it's kind of for lack of a better term, it's it's the the so to speak trophy wife type of thing that coaches have when they are hired. I, I want to say that kind of delicately and, and with respect, but it's when coaches get the introductory press conference and they're like, hey, I can recruit. Have you seen my wife? Why are you being delicate about it? I, I'll go ahead and say it right now. Like as someone who's been married for a long time, it's not really a service to your wife or like a respectful sort of equal partner deal when you're like, you get up in a job and you're like, hey man, I can get people to do stuff. I got this hot chick to fuck me. That's basically what they're saying every time they do that. Um, I, it is one of the dumbest tropes in new coach hires, and it can. T- we just saw it. Uh, the the new UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer did it. it now you know why one- they keep doing it. It's a dumb recruiting joke, and it's so right. fucking stupid. It, and and generally, it, it's hey, I outkick my coverage in terms of looks. I'm not a really good looking guy. But I got right. this really attractive girl. I must have some serious game when it when it, when it comes to recruiting people. You know, just like like I I talked to her into going out a date with me, right? Like I, I can punch right. you above my weight class, which is exactly what people want to see in recruiting. I agree, it's really it's it's a tired trope, and and I don't think they should do it anymore. But the reason why they keep saying it is because everybody who needs to get it totally gets what they're saying. I just want to. I mean, like at some point you're gonna be like, all right, well, how attractive was that man's wife relative to the five? You know, relative to the four star running back he got on campus. Uh, Y'all talking wild. I'm pretty. Oh God. All right. On that note, we're gonna go ahead and cut off part one, and uh, we we still have plenty of questions to get to. So uh, please join us again on part two. We're gonna continue to go through your questions. Hashtag Ask P A P N.